Hey everyone, welcome back to Clearly Unfiltered. I must be honest, uh, I'm a little apprehensive about recording this episode, but I've decided to do it anyway because I did commit to answering every question that came in. For those of you who haven't listened to episode one and two of season three, I'm answering listeners' questions about life and anything else. And as you would have noticed if you'd listened to season one and two, a lot of the last number of years for me has been about unpacking a whole lot of things. And one of those things is faith. So the question that was asked is this, with your shift away from mainstream expression of your faith, if I could put it like that in brackets, do you feel that you didn't actually do a good job or help young people come to faith in Jesus while you worked as a pastor? <laughs> could be a loaded question, but I'm I'm going to give it a bash anyway. As I said, I'm apprehensive. So uh, I hope people will hold space for me as they hear what I'm going to share. So I'm going to start with that first part of the question, which is all about shifting away from a mainstream expression of faith, and then in brackets, if I could put it like that. And I sense in there a slight question of, well, you know, Bruce, what is it you're calling (laughs) the space that you're in? And to be honest, I don't really know. So yes, there has been a shift. Yes, I don't express my spirituality in a mainstream Christian manner anymore. And I think The hard part of this, just to give you some background, and I'll be dealing with this in another question um, later on in the season, but growing up in a particular brand of evangelicalism, um, I've realized subsequently that, that much of my existence and many of my decisions were based on fear. Um, I've, I found evangelicalism to be a very high control religion, although I must be honest, when I was in that space as a young person in particular, I didn't always think that or see that. Uh, it was kind of just normal for me, but on reflection, there's so many things that stand out for me as, as high control. You know, I, I didn't really have a freedom of choice, even even my choice to follow Christ, um, which I can first remember making that decision in grade four, probably as a, what would that be, an eight or a nine-year-old. And I've, I've always thought, well, was it actually choice? You know, when you faced the, were faced with the other alternative, which is if you don't follow Jesus, you go to hell. Like, is that really <laughs> freedom of choice? I often lived um, in the space of being secretly embarrassed as well of my faith. And I don't think I was ever embarrassed to say that I was a Christian and I wasn't ever embarrassed to live in that way or the way that was expected of me to live. But I was secretly embarrassed by some of the condescending and judgmental ways Christians like me, the way we looked down on people and treated people and saw ourselves as the chosen. As a result of that at school, I remember one guy in particular just loved getting a rise out of me. He'd call me Holy Joe all the time. But I must be honest, at school I did feel like I missed out a little on 
on all sorts of things. There were there were loads of things my parents wouldn't let me go to. Um, and it was too uncomfortable to enter into that conversation with them because I would have to bring up things like kids would be drinking, kids would be making out in the bushes, whatever. Whether or not I would have done those things or not wasn't the issue for them. They didn't want me to be in that space, you know. <laughs> I remember growing up, um, when you talk about fear, you know, fear of everything, you know, what is alcohol going to do to you? Or, um, you know, what, what happens if you listen to Kiss or Queen or Iron Maiden or ACDC? The satanic panic was real in the 80s. And so I, I do I do feel in some ways I missed out on some stuff on just living on just being able to be myself and figure things out for myself and have agency over my own choices. Um, I must acknowledge one thing, though, about that time is that the youth group I attended was a special place and it was a particularly safe space for me and it was a, a group in which I was able to grow in many ways. The youth pastor at that time who was in charge of that youth group, you know, had the unique ability to really get the best out of people and to mentor folk and not just in terms of faith but also in terms of growing what they were good at and giving them opportunities to exercise the things that they're good at. So I appreciate that. The thing that, you know, has struck me recently is that you know, doubt wasn't really ever an option. Um, you know, people would glibly throw around the phrase something to do with, you know, in doubting your faith is not a terrible thing because if you're asking the right questions, you're going to get to the right answers. But I realized subsequently that doubt wasn't really an option for me. And even though as I grew up and as I became an adult and as I even worked as a pastor at a church, there were many theological viewpoints that A, I didn't understand and B, I didn't agree with, although I probably didn't have the words to say why or how I didn't agree with those things. And maybe I was even just too scared to ask the question. So when you in your question you ask about me shifting away from a mainstream expression of faith, I, I would kind of loosely define it now, and it might change in the months ahead, but I would loosely define it as shifting from labeling myself Christian to being a questioning human. And the truth is this, is I'm more comfortable now with the not knowing and the not being sure of anything than I have ever been. And in many ways, I have more peace and freedom than I ever had in that evangelical culture. I know there are folk listening to this podcast because they've told me who were in the youth group or who served alongside me in the youth group that I led. Um, I know you might be listening to this. And I'm also aware that there are people Friends of mine who were in the church where I was a pastor, who did ministry with me, who um, listened to me preach, who saw me as a certain kind of leader in that space. And I just right up front want to say that my answer here is not questioning the validity of your experience. This is 
my wrestle and my journey. And I share it because I know that there are other people wrestling through the same things. I've spoken to so many folk just because of this podcast. You see, the real deal is all I want is for people to hold space for me and my evolving views. And so before I jump into sharing some of these evolving views, I also want to acknowledge that I hold space for people who have and do still choose an evangelical expression of faith. And even though I find that expression of spirituality to not be meaningful for me, I know some amazing people who do, and they live lives of meaning and purpose. And they also show up um, time and time again in the world in ways that mirror the kind of love taught and exemplified by the Jesus we read about in the Bible. And so as I unpack some of my own evangelical guilt, some of my regrets from my time as a youth pastor, I want to be clear that this is my guilt and this is based on my journey. And I think it highlights in some ways one of my main aversions to evangelicalism and one of the primary sources of regret for me. So the hierarchical nature of evangelicalism really sets pastors up as God's voice in communities. You know, you'll study for four years at theological college, you'll be ordained by somebody, um, you will profess to have a calling on your life, and you will stand up and lead a community. And there, there are so many people of faith and pastors who are doing this and people of other faiths who are leading communities in really great ways. So I'm not saying that, but the wrestle that I had is we stood up and preached views and interpretations or our understanding of scripture and other things and faith as truth, when in all honesty, we, and I say we, we are simply fallible human beings who at best, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, are like everyone else, just hacking life. And yet the pressure on a pastor to speak mind-blowing truth every week um, is, is real. In evangelicalism, truth be told, we often base our entire belief system on what one or a handful more of mostly men are saying about faith. Even if you look in modern evangelical culture, who are the names, and they will come to mind, and I'm not going to say them here, but there are names of people who stand out to you as church leaders. I would, I would uh, argue that most of those are men. And very often those same people become the foundation on which we build our belief. You know, if someone preaches really well and is really engaging and challenges us and helps us to be better, we often end up relying a heck of a lot on that person. And I don't think that's fair on them and it's not sustainable. And so while I've been told that my very public wrestling with faith has many questioning my eternity, um, it has shaken their perception of me, I also feel that it's important to live authentically. It's more important for me to live authentically than to uphold a version of myself that makes others feel secure. The strength of your faith, the strength of your belief should not be so tied to a persona that when that person doubts or when that person explores the expanse of spirituality or when that person questions their own choices, 
that shouldn't cause you to question the validity of your journey. You see, we should all have agency. It shouldn't depend on a person. And I think for years and years and years, I've carried the weight of that, the weight of people's expectations of me as an erstwhile pastor, someone who used to be in Christian ministry. I've carried, I've carried the pressure of that on my shoulders and all I actually want to do is be authentically me and hope that people would still like me and love me and hold space for me. For now, I want to take one more step towards answering the actual question here, which is, do you feel that you didn't actually do good or help young people come to faith in Jesus when you worked as a pastor? I've given this a lot of thought. And before focusing on a definitive response, which will be the conclusion of this episode, I want to start one step back. Truth is, I most certainly have regrets from that time. And the more I spend time outside of the evangelical echo chamber, the more I wish I'd had the courage to question more and to do things differently um, and to maybe not even um, step into that space at all. And so I want to share with you some regrets that I have, and then I'll answer the question. There are probably more regrets than this, but, but these are the main ones, and I didn't want this to be long. And again, I want to say this is my experience. These are my regrets. This is by no way a reflection on other people in the church or in the churches you might be in if you are a worshipping evangelical. But I do regret intentionally designing worship services, preparing sermons, hosting youth events, and a whole lot of other things that were specifically focused on a specific outcome. Many forms of evangelicalism do emotional and spiritual manipulation very well, I think. And in retrospect, I was part of a larger narrative, I think, that was constructing shared, intertwined experiences that were intent on eliciting an emotional response. And so even saying that now is hard, but I regret being part of it. You know, creating and designing experiences so that people will be swept up. And in that sweeping up, um, it's easy for people to feel manipulated or feel something or feel like the Holy Spirit is moving or whatever it might be. And I think often that sweeping up of people and that manipulation that happens in that moment takes away the very thing we were really preaching is that humans have freedom of choice. When you're forced into feeling something, I don't know if that's really a choice. And as I was thinking through this, my friend who I mentioned a fair bit, Joy Vetterline, posted something on her Instagram story last weekend. She'd gone to a Broadway show and her post verbalized some of what I feel about this sort of entertainment experience or this manipulation through intentionally designed events. She posted a pic of a stage. She was watching a Broadway show and she said this, confirming from Broadway, it wasn't just Holy Spirit. Definitely was the lights and singing and sound system that gave us the feels too. People creating art together is 100% a spiritual experience. I regret that we created those experiences and didn't just trust the message we said we believed in. 
Also, I regret, like I've shared a little bit earlier, people having me as an example for their spiritual choices and expression. There's something really inherently troublesome for me about that hierarchical nature of churches that I was talking about, and also who gets to be in and who gets to be out. I realized the other day as I reconnected with a friend who has also deconstructed his faith um, and someone who also knew me in those days, I realized that what drew me to ministry was people. I really just wanted to help people to thrive. I wanted people to heal. I wanted people to find meaning in life. I mean, I think that's the same reason I became a teacher is because that, that's, that was the meat of it for me. It was about people. It was about helping people find the best way forward. And so I think the truth is this, at any given time, while having a platform and a voice in a community, I was just trying to work things out like everyone else. And my double life in that context was feeling that the pressure of other people's salvation rested on me being so secure in my faith that questioning and doubt were not part of the deal. When in reality, there was much I didn't understand. One of the things I'm unpacking in therapy is the moment is liberating myself from the pressure of being others' spiritual guide or example. I spent too many years in volunteer youth ministry and then a paid pastoral role being a spiritual example to others, which for the most part was just me pretending to be perfect or trying to be. And so when folk these days are curious about where I stand in terms of faith, I share and I share openly and I share as much as they want to hear. But I've moved on from being very vocal about my journey to simply enjoying the freedom that comes with having agency over my own choices and my spirituality in ways I've never experienced before. And my hope is to give others the same room. And so closely connected to that is another regret, and that's I regret sharing interpretations and teaching theologies as gospel truth, when subsequently I've learned that even in the Christian tradition, scholars don't always agree on theological discourse. I no longer, for example, believe the same about hell and the afterlife as I did back then, yet I preached the version of hell I believed to be irrefutable. Similarly, I no longer believe that the Bible condemns consensual same-sex relationships. I don't believe that that's theologically true. I don't think the Bible says that, but even if it did, I have made a choice not to hold to that view anyway. And so many of the views I so vociferously defended back then are doubts I'm comfortable holding now. I'm comfortable, as I said earlier, with the not knowing, with being unsure. So I really regret holding those beliefs so forcefully because I have a sense that in teaching those things as truth, instead of opening people's minds, I simply secured their blinkers. I also regret not speaking up for marginalized folk in the community where I was a pastor. I should have been a more vocal ally to the LGBTQIA plus teenagers and young adults in my care. I should have spoken up when a prominent ministry leader was removed from her position because she came out as gay. I should have returned after I'd left to stand up for a family member who went through the same and was maligned by the leadership of the church at that time for who she was. I should have spoken up. I shouldn't have been so afraid. I should have realized that fitting in isn't as important as just being a good human being. I also regret perpetuating a culture that ironically damaged me. I believed that the markers of the toxic system of which I was a part was the price one pays to serve Jesus, because that is what I was told. You know, when I was at my end, when I had nothing else to give, I was told, 
That's the price of serving Jesus. When I was not spending enough time with my newborn children, a three-month-old and an 18-month-old, I was told that's the price of following Jesus. And as a result, I sometimes managed and dealt with people in the same way, particularly some of the people who were interns with me in ministry. I sometimes managed and dealt with them in the same way that I was managed, in the same way I was treated. And as a result, I became a voice for a system I didn't believe in, only because I was afraid to speak up. And so I became complicit with oppression instead of freedom. So I regret that, and I regret those other things. And so to answer the question, do I feel that I actually did or didn't do good for and help young people to come to faith in Jesus while I worked as a pastor? The honest answer is that's probably best judged by the people who are in that youth group at the time. And my short answer is possibly. I do think I did some good. I think there were many young people who came to that youth group who found a home and a supportive environment. And I know there were many people who came to faith in Jesus in that time. I don't think that was necessarily all down to me, nor should it have been down to me. You see, one of the enduring gifts of that time I spent as a pastor was meeting incredible people, some of whom are still precious friends today who hold space for me even in my wrestling. These were people who gave selflessly to support and love others and still do. And so more than me, I think it was those people who had the greatest impact for good. And as I've shifted to, I don't know if I still believe that finding Jesus in the evangelical meaning of that phrase is the best way to do good for or help young people. I think there are other things that young people need. And I would argue that there are many ways of supporting and doing good for young people. Did I do good for everyone, though? I don't think so. And I can only hope now that those people have found peace and freedom in their own way. And the fact that I perpetuated what I now see as a problematic worldview did not rob them of the agency they have over their own choices, over their own spirituality. So thanks for listening. This was a heavy one. This was a really, really tough one for me. I'm not sure what the next episode is going to be, but I think it might be one on parenting. I'm not going to give parenting advice, but I'm going to share some insights because people have asked things I've realized about myself. I might get some other folk on. You might hear my kids. As always, appreciate you listening to me ramble. Until next time. <laughs>